Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Episode 72 of the Sexplanations podcast. We're going to talk about polyamory today. And so I have asked my friend Tracy to be an experienced person on the subject. Ready, go. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. One, two, three, polyamory. Yay! That's it. That's all you need to know. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is kind of funny, right? Because it's not one, two. It's more than two. One, two, three, four, five, six, lots. True. True. Could be. Doesn't have to be. It's true. You could be a person who is not in any relationships with anyone and still identify as polyamorous. Mm -hmm. True. You could also be in a relationship with one person for a long time and identify as polyamorous. Excellent. We're making the point. (laughs) We're doing the sex education here. And to get your Kegel exercises in for a main squeeze, every time you hear one of us say the word polyamory, make sure to do a Kegel squeeze and release. I have a question for you. Okay, I'm ready. This is in honor of our patrons, mm-hmm. boss patrons, Ben, Donna, Paul, and the Millers. And it comes from something that I've learned recently about polyamory. So this book by Kevin Patterson called Love's Not Colorblind. Hmm. Reading Kevin Patterson's book, Love is Not Blind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities, I learned that which of the following have replaced the shorthand for polyamorous, poly. So what has replaced poly? So that, and this is an actual quotation from the book, so that Polynesian folks who have said that the abbreviation makes it more difficult for people of Polynesian descent to engage with their own online communities without running into interference from the ethical non-monogamy crowd. They don't have to do that, right? Is it... A, Paul, P-O-L, B, Polyam, P-O-L-Y-A-M, C, Multi, so that we're matching, uh, you know, Greek and Latin, or D, none of the above. And then which one would it be? Uh, Polyam. Yay! Yay! You know your topic. (laughs) That's awesome. I hadn't known that before. Before reading this book. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah. something that I heard relatively recently, I guess, in the last few years, just that poly uh, can be offensive or um, unclear. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I try to say polyam or polyamorous or just non-monogamous, which are not all the same thing. Well, polyam and polyamorous are referring to the same thing, but non-monogamy and polyam are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, Tracy, what are the differences? <laughs> this is so fun. I love, I love that you're the expert today. It's so awesome. It's pretty silly. Um, <laughs> I feel silly. I don't feel silly. I feel fine. Uh, so, I mean, I think it varies for every person and every relationship, but my understanding of polyamory and non-monogamy is that for me, polyamory means multiple loves. So that's carrying on multiple deep connections with more than one person at a time. So that could be falling in love with more than one person at a time. That could be just having um, more than one person that you care very deeply about and feel committed to at more than one time. Mm -hmm. Um, And non-monogamy for me is more of uh, you have none or one person that you are committed to and other experiences that you may have outside of that commitment that are not necessarily 
deep emotional connections or in love with or commitments. Not necessarily, but can be. I, yeah, I think it depends on how you define things. I think it, it can be that. For me, polyamory is specifically multiple relationships that have deep emotional connection and commitment. Yeah. And I would say that to me, polyamory is a type of non-monogamy. Correct. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Like polyamory is the, the square. square. <laughs> and? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. Non-monogamy is the rectangle. Exactly. Yes. That was a Not all. Moment. Oh, God. Not all rectangles are squares, but some squares are rectangles. Correct. Yes. Yes. Because uh, other forms all of non- All squares are rectangles. Yes. I messed that up. Well. You got it. I, I'm with you. <laughs> I know. We're on the same page. Yes. I'm just clarifying for potential listeners. Squares are rectangles. Not all rectangles are squares. Correct. Yes. Um, so polyamory is a form of non-monogamy. But all, not all non-monogamy is polyamory. There are lots of forms of non-monogamy. Fact. Fact. I think. Like swinging. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, BDSM exploration community. Um, what, what are we calling it where you, you're just like all the people, but it's not swinging and it's not polyamory. What do you mean all the people? Like I do what I want. Okay. I don't dating. <laughs> <laughs> Being alive, living living life. <laughs> all the things, all the people, all the time. Um one night stand hookups. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing. Do you think that serial monogamy is non-monogamy? No. Okay. I think that's deep emotional connection with one specific person at any given time. Well, so it's not polyamorous, but is it non-monogamy? No, I think that's monogamy. Okay. I think it's just serial. I think it's not knowing how to or not wanting to experience the world as a single individual. But I think it's still monogamy. Okay. Well, I guess okay, describe non monog or describe serial monogamy to me. Um the relationship orientation of being in or desiring one person who has one partner mm-hmm. who is them. That's monogamy. Serial monogamy. Yes. And then if that ends, or even if it doesn't end, but it's about to, the person shifts into another relationship with one person. And that goes on and on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. I see that as monogamy. Do you see that as not monogamy? I see it as serial monogamy. Which is not monogamy for you. Um... I think that it could be either. For example, in Ethical Slut, when I read about serial monogamy, it sounds like the authors are saying that it is a form of non-monogamy. And I could Mm. be misinterpreting that. But, yeah. It's not one partner for life, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I do not. I know. Mm-mm. <laughs> um, You're like, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, I do not see monogamy as one partner for life. You see monogamy as one partner at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So it's, that is not, that didn't even cross my mind. Isn't it so nice that language exists so that we can use more words to describe some words? Mm-hmm. We can pick it apart piece mm-hmm. by piece. Yeah. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah. The idea of one 
one person for life is like not something that I really think about or ascribe to for myself. You had a physiological reaction. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Gross. That's Mm-mm. icky. <laughs> nah, not for me. Thank you. You can you if that works for you, that's great. But I don't believe it for me. Yeah. Maybe not for you either. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just for me. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna speak for myself. Yeah, that's fair. Have yeah. you ever met a monogamous person? Sure. What did you think of them? Oh, they're great humans. Like, what? What do you mean? I mean, do you think that they're lying to themselves? No. Are you okay? Again, describing monogamy. Are you saying I have one partner for the rest of my life? Monogamy, or are you saying either? I, I'll, I'll share my experience. Okay. So I did an episode of the Sexplanations YouTube channel with Hank Green, mm-hmm. who is the producer of the show, and he is monogamous. So I was like, whoa, a monogamous person. Let's talk about monogamy. <laughs> monogamous wait a minute, wait a person. Aren't, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> you can ask your questions. Anyway, so uh, we sat on the couch and I uh, asked him to talk with me about monogamy. And he did. And I realized how deeply he feels and experiences life as monogamist. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same as the way when I talk with you. It's so much of your identity to be polyamorous. It's your, like, worldview. It's your experiences. It's your day-to-day life. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting because when I introduce myself to people, it's not something that I think about as, like, an identity. Is that because it's so present in you that you don't feel like you need to? Yeah, I think, like it's, you- I think it's the same situation as when I knew that I was gay or queer or that I liked women or, you know, whatever was going through my head at that time. I didn't feel like I had to talk about that with anybody. That was just like my identity. That was who I, that was just who I was. And it wasn't something that I had to announce. Yeah. And I didn't. So it's the same, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, I think monogamous people are lovely. it's it's not it's not like they're separate in my brain of like oh those are our monogamous friends this is my polyamorous friend that I can connect to unhealthy monogamy however are I have a hard time with and when I see friends engaging in unhealthy monogamy I have a hard time emotionally connecting to them as I'm sure you would if you saw healthy unhealthy polyamory 100% and do yeah Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's pick that apart. What is healthy relationship? What What is healthy relating? Can I tell a quick story? Yes, please. So there's this neighbor, this little girl who comes over to our house. Um, used to be very frequently. Now that school's in session, it's a little bit less frequently. And she would just kind of follow us around and talk to us. And um, this one day she was following me around. Like just a few feet away, just telling me stories. And she told me a story about a TV show that she was watching in which um, a fashion girl who has really nice shoes and the race car driver guy were in a relationship, but nobody knew. And then there was some punchline that I didn't understand. And then she kept going. And then she said that they had, they were a good couple. And I was like, well, what does a good couple mean? What does that mean to you? And she said that I actually got it recorded, which is cool. Mm. Um, she said that a good couple 
is when somebody gets you, when you're not afraid that they're going to hurt you or they're going to like do something wrong, they just get you and you can like be yourself and you don't have to worry about anything. And like, if something goes wrong, they get you. And my heart exploded a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I really like that. And then she went on to something else about um, ta- uh, train, tame your dragon, train your, train your dragon. How to train your dragon. Yeah, that one. Um, and that I didn't understand. But that one little piece I really liked. And I think that's true. Somebody really gets you. And you're not afraid to be who you are. You're not afraid to voice your opinions. Um, be independent. You can ask for help when you need it. All of those things. Yeah. I really like that. I really like that too. Um, I also really like what Rose said on your podcast mm-hmm. a while ago. Yeah. Um, those three variables. Yeah. Do you remember what they were? It's like, they I were... get to be myself. I get to say no. Mm-hmm. And I think have fun. And I get to have fun. Yeah. yeah. Which I really like those too. Um, for me, a lot of it is about honesty also. So if you, if I'm in a relationship and I don't feel like I can or, um, won't tell a partner anything like specifically that is important to me, like if I'm afraid of their reaction or I'm afraid of, um, I don't know, extenuating circumstances with that information, that is a warning sign for me. So honesty is really important Mm. in terms of what's going on in my life and my brain. And if I can't share those things with a partner, that's something that I have to kind of check myself on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. So honesty and communication, I guess, or my communication is a big one for healthy relationships. Mm. Mm -hmm. And okay. Okay. Here's okay. I'm I'm codifying it now. You get to have as many (laughs) as you want. (laughs) I'm codifying it. Somebody who gets you, like Mm -hmm. my neighbor um, specified, honesty, Mm -hmm. communication, Mm -hmm. um, and knowing yourself. That's Mm. important for me personally. Yes. in, In relationships. And it's hard. I have found it hard to be in longer-term relationships with people who do not know themselves, and I have to know myself in order to interact with them honestly. Yes. Are you familiar with what happened on, I think it was on Twitter with Hannah Hart? No. She is a a YouTuber who started um, with this channel called My Drunk Kitchen. Uh, Lovely. Lovely person, lovely show, lovely. And she posted something along the lines that in order to love someone else, you have to love yourself first. Mm-hmm. And the internet got very upset. And they were like, no, that's not true. You can mm. love someone else, even if you don't love yourself. And uh, I hear what both people are saying. And I I think it's a growing process, right? That maybe you don't know entirely who you are, or maybe you don't love yourself. But if you're intentional about that discovery process, that to me is what um, contributes to the health of a relationship. Yeah, one hundred percent. I agree. Because I, I, I don't know a lot of people who know who they are. I guess it's less about knowing exactly who you are and understanding your being in touch with your um, process. Yeah. Okay. So that's four things. Did you want to add any more? Oh, I'm sure I'll add. Can we keep talking and I'll add other things as we go? Yes. On? That's great. I have something that came up. I don't want to take away from this lovely thing that the neighbor girl said, but you're here, and this is something I think about a lot. Um, 
Does the word word couple offend you? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I have never thought about that. No, I guess it's not a word that I use a lot in terms of relationships. Um, but I have never thought about the use of that word. Um, I do not, I am not particularly interested in more than, in a relationship with more than one, ooh, how do I phrase this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my relationships with other people, uh, I am, I'm married to one, to one human, my, my companion partner, Mm -hmm. um, we call each other and I have other relationships outside of that individual and those relationships are with individual people so I am not part of a thruple and I have had relationships with one person and also someone else that they are seeing Mm -hmm. at the same time Um, but that's not something that I am currently doing or particularly interested in so for me couple is pretty accurate in terms of my relationships with other people at this moment so meaning that I am in a relationship with one other person. Well, I think this, what you're is saying confusing. is that I don't you're know what, yeah. a part of multiple couples. Yes. So yes, it doesn't bother you when kiddo says, this is what makes a good couple. Oh, yeah. Did not even cross my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. It does. It crosses, uh, for me, it crosses my sure. mind of, yeah. ah, mm, because I, I work or have worked with a lot of people who identify as non-monogamous. And I also am part of a field that will use language like couples counseling. Mm-hmm. And I think about how exclusionary that is to say, we, we will see the two of you, but we won't see uh, your boyfriend and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's girlfriend. Right, 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 right. Even though huh. all of you are part of the dynamic that could benefit from sex therapy or whatever it is. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I would imagine that if I were part of a thruple or multi-person upple, mm-hmm. I would feel differently about the use of the term couple. Even having a companion partner and a partner and a, another partner, you can't imagine a scenario where it would benefit to have multiple people in a, a room seeking guidance? Oh, yes, I absolutely could. But in my brain, that is still, that's that's just counseling. That's just <laughs> therapy. That's, I mean, that should absolutely be an option. And it, I mean, a lot of therapy revolves around relationships, not just couples counseling, not just couples therapy. Right. So I don't, yeah, in terms of the therapy world, it makes a lot more sense for it not to be called couples counseling for, in my brain. I agree. With you. In the outside world, referring to um, relationships as couples does not bother me, but maybe would if I were experienced, I was in a different situation myself. I've worked really hard to um, understand the viewpoint of other individuals, and I Mm. still have a hard time sometimes in situations like that understanding what that would feel like if I were on the other side of it. And so I, I, it's not something that I would have thought about. But now that you say it, I'm like, oh, I could see how that could be an issue. But it would not have crossed my mind. Okay. Well, now I've put it, <laughs> put it on your mind. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, also, okay, here, here's a question for you. Yes, please. How many is a couple? 
And how many is a few? If you're talking about objects on a table. Mm-hmm. A couple is two. And Specifically. And a few is three or more under five. Okay. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> because then five becomes a handful. <laughs> and oh, five. Five on a hand. Yeah. Yeah. And then six or more is we have terms for, mm-hmm. right? We would say bunch, group, raft, uh, raft? bevy. What does raft, raft mean? Um, raft is a quantity, like a, huh. a bunch or a, uh, a raft of people, a raft of toys, a raft of... Wow. Uh, I don't know that one. Legislation. Hmm. Okay. I also use couple to mean two specifically and few to mean three, mm-hmm. sometimes four, but not five or two. And right. sometimes Margaret, my companion partner, will refer to something as a few and I'll say... It looks like two to me, or she'll say a couple, and, I, and I'll think, oh, you mean three or four. And I have to, like, do this switch in my brain constantly because those don't mean the same thing to us. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're let's just pull up our language. This is something that has happened <laughs> recently to me with realtor and realtor. Re, I can't even say it the, oh. the incorrect way. Yeah. Realtor and realtor. Mm-hmm. Realtor. Anyway, people say this in two different ways. Mm-hmm. And I was being indignant and saying, you can't say realtor, realtor. That's not the correct English. You can't go and get your realtor license and become a realtor when, <laughs> and then talk about being a realtor when you are not even saying the name of your profession correctly. <laughs> anyway. Have you been watching a TV show called The Santa Clarita Diet? No. Because that's a theme on that TV show. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, I had to check myself and realize that language has different meaning meanings. I don't decide. Even if there is the dictionary version with the dictionary pronunciation, that does not speak for everyone. And I am doing harm in my own ways with my indignance. So with the couple three and the couple two, I hear what Margaret is saying and go like, oh, but you are actually wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what a couple is. Uh-huh. But also not helpful. Not helpful. Yeah. And the solution isn't to to tell people that their words are wrong. It is to have the conversation to understand how our, our words have different meanings. Mm-hmm. Should we circle back to polyamory and how communicating with different partners is very different between them? And how yeah. that is a thing that Go for it. is a challenge. I mean, yes, partners and people in general. Yeah. But specifically, finding a language that works between partners is something that I think polyamorous individuals have a lot of experience with. Mm-hmm. And someone who is with the same partner and without other relationships for a long period of time is less experienced mm. with finding a language and finding figuring out the words that work to convey meaning to different people because it's different for different people and it involves a lot of switching. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't like, I, I don't do it consciously, but it is something that like, if, if Margaret says couple, I know she means three probably <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, and if somebody else says a couple, that person might mean specifically two. Yeah. So different, different languages with different mm-hmm. partners. Yeah. Yeah. French and German. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I don't speak either of those though. So (laughs) we're really in trouble with those relationships. (laughs) But that's how I I think it is in general. Mm -hmm. Like I have a different language with one of my kiddos than I do with the other, than with partner, than with past partner, than for sure. But it's a, I think it's a little bit different when you're going between those frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're and you're having those deep emotional connections and conversations with different people, and you find different language to describe your feelings and emotions and their feelings and emotions with different people. So the way that I am picturing it in my head is that if we're talking about the language of love or the language of sex, you have dialects within those. Mm-hmm. So whereas maybe multiple kids might be, okay, this kid needs ASL and this kid needs Russian, you're saying, I'm speaking Russian, but I have to use the Southern Russian accent with this person. (laughs) Or like, oh, you know what it is? It's I'm speaking Spanish, Mm -hmm. but this is uh, Spanish for... Madrid. Yeah. This is Spanish in Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I think it's also just, yes, but expanding... So say that I grew up in in this scenario. I grew up somewhere not in Spain. Mm-hmm. And I am learning to expand my vocabulary in order to communicate well with various individuals in my life. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. It's fun. I think it's very cool of you to do that. I think it's hard not to do that. Oh, yeah. Tons of conflict. Yeah. But I also think that a lot of people say you know, practice communication, meh, I'd rather just fight or I'd rather just what? Who make says it somebody that? else's Nobody fault. says that. They don't say that, but they they behave that mm, way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> like oh, nobody chooses it's too that. much work to, to have a sit-down conversation and get to our ideal sexual situation than it is for me to to like criticize you so that you get mad at me so I can say that's why we're not having sex. Mm, God, I, wow. Mm-mm. Nope, would much rather have a conversation. Well, this is why I think you have great sex. Sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> I have great sex. <laughs> this is why sometimes you Do have you know great something sex. that I don't know, Lindsay? <laughs> oh, so good. What other questions do you have for me? Mm. Or do you want me to ask you? Well, I'm curious about your um, relationship with polyamory mm-hmm. because I know that you started Polytana in mm-hmm. Montana, but also I think you identify as monogamous. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me more <laughs> about that. Okay. So Polytana was, I don't know if it's still going on, but um, when I started it, it was a group for people who identify as non-monogamous or even support the non-monogamy community in Montana. So instead of mon, like mono, like one, like monogamous, uh, polytana. Montana's replaced polytana. Okay. You get it. Great. Awesome. (laughs) It's Um, very clever. I like it. (laughs) And I would coordinate the group. I do identify as monogamous. I think the way that my friend puts it is monogamous despite my best efforts. That I, I really want to behave in non-monogamous ways. It, it doesn't fit me as an orientation. So the same thing goes with pansexual. I really want to 
behave and identify as pan, but I don't. It doesn't feel authentic. It's not how I feel oriented. So why do you want them if they don't feel authentic to you? Because I feel... Yes, therapy, let's go. (laughs) Because I feel restrictive to myself. Close. I feel sexist. hmm, But it's not if it's not something that you feel connected to or that you feel a draw towards like in your body, why why do you why do you feel bad about not wanting something that you don't want? I guess it's confusing to me. Um, okay, so back to language. Mm. Our mm-hmm. word system right now is that we say what we are attracted to. Mm-hmm. We don't say... Okay, so for example, heterosexual. It's saying that I am attracted to people of the opposite sex. That those That's like the crushed up language that mm-hmm. we have right now, which is even falling down as mm-hmm. we say it. But it's not true. I am not attracted to everyone of the opposite sex sure. or gender, however we, we use the words now. Mm-hmm. What is more accurate is what I might not be attracted to. Okay. But even then, it feels exclusionary to say, I, oh, there is no woman on the entire planet, no one who identifies as female or, how, you know, whatever that, whatever homosexual mm. or bi or pan means that I could find attractive sexually. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel right either. Well, okay. I mean, that's fair. But that also doesn't mean that you can't change orientation or what you feel, what feels comfortable for you in the future. Oh, of course not. I mean, this. so you, you saying that, let's go back to monogamy, non-monogamy. You saying that you are, that you would like to be non-monogamous but that not is not something that you have experienced as a reality in your life i have you have but you identify as not as monogamous now yes even okay. when i play with other people <laughs> oh interesting I okay tell me about as that monogamous isn't that interesting yeah tell me more because it it feels like a behavior not an identity okay right like i've yeah. played with okay. women but i don't identify Beyond, I, like heteroflexible is as far as I will go. Well, but playing with any any gender doesn't mean that you are any orientation. Exactly. Yeah. But that's the, that's what I'm saying. That's how that's, monogamy so, fits okay. in my head. Is that the identity is monogamy? The behavior might be non-monogamous, but the identity is monogamous. Mm, okay. Interesting. And I think part of it is that I. I don't want to take up a space that isn't mine. And we've talked about mm. this on previous episodes of the yeah. podcast, but until that is m- like a space that I identify with, mm-hmm. it's really important for me to, to, to I don't, yeah. Hmm. <sighs> I think that I, I hear what you're saying, but I think that also runs the risk of you stopping yourself from being part of communities that are that that are there and you would be able to identify with in the future by like being part of that conversation. Can't I be part of the conversation? Yeah, you can be part of the conversation. I'm saying that if you are closing yourself off from being from identifying with those 
Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's maybe for you it's just that you identify as monogamous, but you are still part of those conversations and part of those communities that are non-monogamous and you don't feel closed off from that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, so here, here's the situation, right? I applied for a grant and they they wanted to know, are you a person of color? Are you um, part of the LGBT community? Are, do you have a non-traditional relationship lifestyle, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And the answers to those are yes, but I don't identify that way. Mm-hmm. So even though I like I qualify in blood, I don't identify mm-hmm. with those communities. So it's it's also about privilege. Yes. And allowing others who are perhaps less privileged or less able to um, have a voice, have those voices. Yes. Who feel that their voices are marginalized. I agree with you. And I also argue with myself because in the episode of this Explanations podcast with Emily, I think it was 62, <laughs> somewhere along there, she talks about how she comes out as ace and then doesn't feel comfortable going to pride because mm-hmm. she didn't she didn't suffer. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I didn't say this on the podcast, but in my head I'm thinking, so what? Suffering is not a, par- a qualification for that identity. And actually by you being there without the experience of suffering, you're giving permission to other people who might feel like imposters to be part of the community, to identify as who they are. That's true, but being part of a Pride event or Pride Parade is different from receiving a grant or receiving a recognition. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Like, I I agree with you, but, and and I think you can argue both sides Mm -hmm. endlessly. I think they both have merit. But her situation is very different from your decision to answer those questions one way or another. Well, what ended up happening with the grant was I used more language, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of choosing between yes or no, it was I have my my grandmother is Japanese and my grandfather mm-hmm. came over on the Mayflower. Or right. he didn't come over on the Mayflower, but his ancestor did. And I have this kind of relationship and these relationships, et cetera. And I just gave more information so that then they knew, okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah, it I all think worked that's a out. Perfect solution. We'll see. Well, I'll report back. Yeah, <laughs> but at least today, know. I'm, I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Like when there are queer events in the community, I'm like, yeah, I'm queer in that. I'm definitely not traditional or conventional, but I that is not my space. I don't feel like that is a space where I should be. And that's fair. And you should listen to the places that you feel comfortable if that's like if that part of it is really important to you but also I know that some of the, some of those events are for queer people to feel comfortable in their space and having allies who are there who will use their correct pronouns who will respect them as humans is also really important so whether or not you identify as queer or you want to be in that space as a queer person to celebrate your queerness, Mm -hmm. being there as somebody who is not necessarily queer but can hold that space for other queers or other gay people or other people of the LGBTQ community. I'm not sure how many (laughs) letters we're using right now because I'm not political, um, is important. 
for those people to, it's important for me to see, I mean, yes, there are times that I want to be in a space that is just filled with people who are queer as fuck. <laughs> and I, that's all I want. But then there are other spaces that I want that affirmation from other parts of the community. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, I'll throw that out there as, you know, Thank you. two cents from the other side. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe that I would be welcome in the space that you and I are thinking of. But there, yeah, there are times when I see like, okay, this is where allies get on board and we're having fun and this is a safe space for everyone. And then there are other times where it's like, yeah, I can I can do my own thing and not have to, you know, um, take up space here. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I hear you. Okay. Good. <laughs> I was thinking, I really want to get you a sword so that you can go around knighting people because, like, right, you could knight them. You are an ally. You are queer. (laughs) So that we don't have to do the work of sorting through identity and identity confusion. Ugh, that's me labeling other people, though, as identities. That's not, that defeats the purpose. Tracy, in this moment, I'm just feeling lazy, okay? (laughs) Just do it to me. Just walk around with the sword and knight me. Okay, okay. I'll find a sword and I'll come knight you. <laughs> Thank you. I might have one at home somewhere. <laughs> nice. No, I, I don't know what the answers are. And I think that that's part of what's cool about this period in time is that language is exploding, at least around sexuality, in huge, huge ways. I've said this before. I don't think the concepts of gender and sex are going to follow us for very long. That that's all going to get blown mm-hmm. up and rewritten. Same with heterosexual, homosexual, all that. It's all going to be rewritten. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Language scares me. It does? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I never feel like I have the right words. Oh, yeah. And it's, and I've, and it's been hard for me to, to figure out how to feel confident in saying, especially with emotions, but also otherwise, um, feeling confident and saying words that maybe are not exactly perfect mm-hmm. and conveying meaning the best way that I can, even if it's not pinpoint exactly what I want to say, because I don't know how to. I think language is fascinating and absolutely terrifying. Are your intentions good? Yes. Okay. Well, then if I had a sword, I would knight you as a good person. And then... (laughs) Wow, this really became a therapy session. (laughs) Free your voice. (laughs) Well, okay, so my experience with that is I am on the floor of this big conference room at a hotel with a friend, Zach Anner. He has a YouTube channel. Well, lots of them, actually. Um, He has cerebral palsy. He's in a chair. Um, Most of the time, he's trying to get around. And I am struggling with language, right? We're on the floor together trying to do some sort of dance workout, which which he he's not able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's we're trying to illustrate this, right? And I'm trying to figure out the language to communicate who he is and what he's experiencing and all of these things or ask him questions even about himself. And he's he at one point just gave me permission to say, like, just talk. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you are so afraid of offending another person, the dialogue doesn't even get started. Mm-hmm. So, Thanks. I agree. Good. Uh, let's see what other questions I have for you. How is polyamory treating you? Very well. I like it. Pros, cons? Oh, so many of both. Let's see. Uh, just like there are pros and cons to monogamy. Um, 
I think that both can be hard and both can be really beautiful and both can be um, really exciting and um, really self-affirming and affirming of other people. Um, some cons of polyamory is that I get to experience different worlds. So when I enter into a new relationship with somebody, especially being in my 30s, rather than, you know, we're all in the same classes together, say in college. Now, when I meet somebody, often they're part of a completely different world that I don't know anything about. Um, so getting to... That's a con. No, that's a pro. Oh, I thought you said it was a con. Okay, no, no, no. Good. That's pro. a pro. Um, I, so I get to experience other worlds and get new information sort of in my brain and in my space and in my world. And that expands my kind of ability to see other people and connect with other people and understand where other people are coming from, which is really cool. Similarly, I get like new music and I get, mm -hmm. you know, new foods and new spaces to go to that I never would have thought that would be a cool thing for me to do, but turns out it's fun. So that's really exciting. And I think that, you know, there are things that like Margaret would tell me for years that I should think about X, Y, Z. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Sure. And then somebody else can say it and I'll be like, oh, this is another person telling me the same thing. I should, I'm, I'm going to think about that now. And then I'll go to Margaret and be like, oh, that thing that you've been telling me for three years, I get it now. Mm. And she'll be like, thank God, <laughs> finally. Um, Which speaks a lot to healthy polyamory, I think, because an alternative could be like, why did it take that other person for you to get it? Why didn't you listen to me? Right. And instead she could just say, ah, oh, awesome that that other person exists to back me up. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Or help you see from another angle mm -hmm. the same thing that I've been seeing or whatever it is. We had this conversation the other day and she said that, yeah, sometimes, you know, I'll say something and then, or Margaret will say something and I will not receive it fully. And then in her brain, she's just going, I can wait until <laughs> somebody else like, comes in and fills in that corner for me, um, which is great. I love that. Uh, and vice versa also, obviously. Um, another pro, so sometimes we call them polyam perks, which is just like getting to be in those spaces other people's spaces as an intimate person, mm. um, which is really beautiful and really wonderful. And can you give can, an example? Let's see. Um, a polyam perk would be something like, for example, my companion partner, Margaret, is a seamstress. Mm -hmm. And so I get my perk, one of my perks with Margaret is that I get my clothes fixed and she has access to all these equipments and all these tools. Mm. Um, another perk that I might have is a partner who really likes to cook and I get to go over to their house and I get to get food made for me mm. and um, kind of get special treatment in that way. And that's like really fun and exciting. And I get to be in their spaces as sort of their special human, um, <laughs> which is great. Uh, and I get to meet their friends as like they're one of their special humans. And that's really sweet. For me, it sounds like friendship, except uh, really cool because you it's friendship with all the glorious things of being sexual and or romantic with someone of like the flirtation and the compliments and the courtship and all of that mixed in. Yes. 
It is like that. I think that for me, polyamory has a lot to do with those emotional connections, obviously. And I don't get that from friends very much. No? No. I get those I get those deep connections from partners and I growing up and I I mean I have friends from I mean one of my best friends growing up I'm still close with and we've known each other since we were 3 months old. Um but we didn't have those really deep emotional connections. We were basically sisters. Mm-hmm. But my friends growing up and I were friendly but less emotionally connected and I get those deep emotional like feelings those like personal you know me feelings you get me feelings Mm. with partners and very rarely with friends and it takes a long time for me to get there with friends but not a long time to get there with partners less long with partners for me a big part of love languages and um partner languages is physical touch And I don't get that with friends in the same way that I get it with partners. And if I don't get that physical touch, I don't feel close to somebody. This is so interesting to Mm -hmm. me because I am, so I'm listening to you and thinking that sounds amazing. I want that life that, that, uh, (laughs) all I can think of is, yeah, I want to, I want to sleep with and love all of my friends. (laughs) But what I think I end up doing, and this is actually probably um, a lot in part because of safety, is that I will take all of that energy and I will put it into the one person. Mm-hmm. So I will have deep connections with friends where it's flirtatious and like right on the, like, yeah, I could totally have sex with you at any moment, but I gather it all up and then I put it into my monogamous partnership. Interesting. When you say safety, do Mm -hmm. you mean sexual health safety or do you mean emotional safety? Both. I do not have relationships, sexual relationships with friends very often. Well, I'm I'm just saying like that, that's, that's a difference. Like my, it's very rare that I am friends with somebody and then we become partners. Uh, So my relationships start with a different intention. My Sexual partnership relationships usually start with a different intention than friendships. I think we could talk for hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because now I'm thinking, how do mine start? How do my friendships start? How do my, yeah, I could pull things apart for hours. Mm -hmm. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, well. Instead of doing that, is there anything else we should know about polyamory? Um, you could ask me about hierarchical and um, not polyamory. You could ask me about different terms for different kinds of polyamory. You could ask me about... Um, yes, all of those, those things. things. I mean, I think that one of the reasons why it's important you're here speaking about polyamory is because you have such a healthy functioning version of it. And you model that for our community, right? Like I think a lot of people who are newbies to it look up to you and say, wow, you have it figured out. How do it? How can I be like Tracy? And one of the things that I've heard is that you don't have a hierarchical relationship. So you don't say Margaret is my primary, so-and-so is my secondary, tertiary, et cetera. You say they're all equally important to me and – 
I use different names. Like you say, Margaret is your companion partner. Mm-hmm. But at least in conversations I've had with you, it's not that that makes her um, a priority over anyone else. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I think so. Um, first of all, thank you. It's really sweet to hear. Aww. Um, I don't feel like I have it all figured out. I feel like we're all just fumbling through and maybe I have some really wonderful wonderful partners and really positive experiences of polyamory. I think that's part of what other people see. I think you have the fumbling figured out, if that makes sense. Mm, you, yeah. Like you know how to bumble around and get back on your feet and do it with grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very good at pretending <laughs> like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think so. Hierarchy is uh, something that a lot of people in the polyamorous world uh, talk about. So hierarchy or not, and that's true. I I don't I don't consider my partners primary, secondary, tertiary, whatever the fourth one would be. Um, I consider them all equally important in my life at any given time. But their histories are also important. Yeah. So, for example, Margaret as my companion partner, it's important to me that we have a house together, that we own land together, that we have spent 10 years of our life building that together. Um, and that history comes into play when I'm dealing with feelings and other partners, for sure. However, it is not that she as a person is more important or more valuable than someone else in my life. It is that we have a shared history that is that needs and calls for attention and also our relationship is much longer and deeper for those reasons, if that makes sense. It does, and I want a <laughs> megaphone so I can ask you to repeat it and everyone can hear it. Oh. You want me to repeat it? Yeah, I mean, you said this to me at my kitchen table, and I... Oh, you were you were just asking me to repeat it. I mean, you can, yes, you can repeat it, but I got it. Uh, I'm saying that when I heard you say it at the kitchen table that first time, it lit up a part of my brain that was in the shadows because mm-hmm. I heard all humans have value. All humans are important. And it's about their, like you said, their histories or their their needs at a given moment or whatever that we negotiate, but that doesn't make one more important than the other. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It, was, it's, it is very beautiful the way that you think about your people. Yeah. I like it. Thank you for saying that. Okay. So what were the other things that you want us to learn? Oh, the different kinds of polyamory. So the way that, um, so a lot of times polyamory is framed within a, a couple framework, meaning that we as a couple are polyamorous and that we are doing polyamory together, um, which I think is kind of a mainstream kind of heterosexual way of framing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the queer community and gay community have been doing polyamory in various ways for a long time that is not just couple-centric. So within the polyamorous world, Uh, A lot of times couples will have different ways of thinking about their polyamory, and those can be described as don't ask, don't tell polyamory, as parallel polyamory, as kitchen table polyamory. And those mean don't ask, don't tell, as it sounds. You do your own thing. You don't tell your partner anything. Mm -hmm. 
Um, consensually. So nobody knows. Consensually. You know that your partner is doing things that you don't know about, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. The second one is parallel, meaning that you might know who your partner is seeing. You might have some idea of where they're going, what they're doing, but you do not interact with your partner's partners. Kitchen table is where you can all sit down around a kitchen table or a table or at an event and chat and be friendly, hopefully, and experience your partner's partners on a human level. Oh my gosh, it sounds so dreamy. (sighs) It's pretty dreamy. (laughs) Um, So obviously I I adhere to a kitchen table poly. I don't think it has to be within a couple setting, but um, all of my partners can be in the same space together and be caring and lovely and um, most of the time really enjoy each other's company. And that's really important to me. So if I'm walking around with one of my partners and we see another one of my partners, we can go up and like we give each other hugs and have a little conversation and that feels really comfortable and really good. We go on double dates. Margaret and I will go have a drink with our respective partners together Hmm. and we get to chat and be friendly and, um, you know, tease each other a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> and that feels really good because we all know each other really well. And it's really sweet. Those That's are my awesome. favorites. Those are my favorites. I love that. Don't ask, don't tell. Polyamory scares me. I don't understand it. Parallel polyamory, I understand a little bit better. But kitchen table, I think, is the most honest and open and rewarding for me personally. Yeah. I think that there's probably a place for all of those to coexist, That right? Like people can choose one of those three or um, multiples of those three if they have one kind with one relationship and another kind with other relationships and throughout time it can change and I'm glad that there's diversity and and there there are more than those three right mm-hmm. like people can make up all sorts of relationship dynamics and I I look forward to seeing where it goes in the future mm-hmm. yeah totally and I think that every relationship is different and Going back to what you said about my being kind of an example in this community, there's that makes my heart really happy. And I've mm-hmm. gotten that feedback from um, other people who have, you know, Margaret and I are pretty open about what we're doing and who we're seeing um, sort of in the, uh, if you know us, you know, if you're in our world, we don't hide it. And so people who are, coming to our events or know us, see it. And we've gotten feedback from a number of people who appreciate seeing it. But I I also will say that we've had a very specific path to where we are now. And the way that we communicate and the way that we sort of organize our lives and the way that I've learned to be in the relationships that I'm in took a very specific set of events and a life. And I don't I don't think that the way that we do it is the right way for anybody else necessarily. Um, So I like that it's an example of how things could look, but I don't think it's prescriptive, Hmm. if that makes sense. It does. It's beautiful. Do you want to give some sextra credit? Sextra credit. Now you can practice at home. Dr. Doe gives you sextra credit. Um, so sometimes while I'm listening to your podcast, I am walking. I do a lot of walking for work. And I'm always a little bit disappointed when I'm walking and I can't just stop in one spot 
and do kegels like I'm supposed <laughs> to do on your podcast. So I want everybody to, as homework to go home and figure out how to move your feet and do kegels at the same time because I have a really hard time doing that. It's almost impossible for me. I think maybe I'm just not strong enough to do it. Yet. No, that's definitely not it. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. No, but we'll figure it out. If you don't, if you don't walk or aren't able to, I'm also thinking um, just any simultaneous movement. Mm-hmm. Right, like if a person is in a wheelchair or mm-hmm. um, any situation where they aren't walking, I don't want them to miss out on doing their sexter credit. Oh home. yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Everybody for sure. has to work. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> has to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could give some other sexter credit. Should I give some other sexter credit too? Yeah, give us a polyam one, too. Great. I'll give you another one. So one of the things that is uh, I get asked a lot about polyamory is jealousy, Mm -hmm. as that is sort of the first thing that people come to. And one of the things that I respond with and that I think about a lot is where jealousy comes from. So I want people to think about when they have felt jealous in the past and sort of walk that back and figure out where those feelings are actually coming from. So a lot of times for me, jealousy comes from insecurities of myself. Mm-hmm. So I might be jealous that a partner is doing something with somebody else that I was excited about doing with them. Mm-hmm. And then in my brain, that goes to they don't care about me, I'm not important to them, I'm not getting their time and energy. And so reminding myself that I know that those things aren't the case, or maybe they are, and maybe that's a conversation that we need to have, Mm -hmm. but most of the time it's my brain spinning. So I want everybody to go home and think about the last time they felt really jealous and where those feelings came from and whether or not those, those are feelings that come from within themselves that they can work on on their own or if it's something that they need to have a conversation with somebody else about. I love it. I might have thought about that beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will do that homework. Do you feel jealousy? Mm, I may, but I I work really hard on doing the assignment that you gave mm-hmm. in my own life to switch it from maybe jealousy to envy to understand, okay, what is my unmet need and how do I get it met? Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily that something bad is happening to me mm-hmm. or that, that anything bad is happening, period. And so um, the conversion of that initial feeling to what is actually going on happens faster and faster mm-hmm. as I practice. Yeah. To, almost totally. to the point where I, I don't know that I would recognize jealousy. Oh, man. Wow. But cool. yeah, I'm sure it's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's something to be ashamed of, and I definitely don't think that people – um, who experience it are unnatural in any way. I think that no, I, I think, think it's that pretty it unnatural. Natural. I think it's pretty unnatural to not experience any jealousy ever. Yeah, it's a human emotion. Mm-hmm. We all have them. Most of us have them. Most of us are human. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us have them somewhere in our bodies, whether or not we are expressing them yeah. on a day to day basis. I hope people experience the the positive emotions too, and um. Maybe this podcast has inspired some contentment and ease and joy. That would be nice, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope so. Also, consent always. <laughs> <laughs> consent always for everything. I feel like we didn't really talk about consent, but I guess it's implied in everything. 
Well, as sexuality, yeah, we'll get there where if if we're talking about sex, consent is a part of that. Otherwise, we're talking about Mm. rape and Mm -hmm. cheating. Yeah, more I meant in terms of polyamory Mm. because you can be non-monogamous and cheating Mm -hmm. and polyamorous and cheating and Mm non-consensual, doing it poorly. This is, we're on the consent side of things, everybody. (laughs) Everybody consent, honesty. Yes. Honesty. Ask questions. Always ask. Stay curious. Stay right? curious. <laughs> oh yeah. Wait. What is the thing that you say at the end of the podcast? We say Ancora and Paro. Where does that? Where does that come from? They're mixed. Uh, I think one is Da Vinci and the other one is not Da Vinci. <laughs> There's two different sources of it. Hmm. Do you want, I can look it up real quick and tell you. Is it Latin? Um, I would guess. I will look it up right now, and I will say. Thank you very much to you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was happy to be here. I was honored to be asked. Oh, yay. <laughs> uh, let's see. It's Itali- an Italian phrase, so Latin, meaning, yet I am learning. It's often attributed to the great Renaissance genius Michelangelo, um, hmm. but I've also heard it come from Da Vinci. Nice. They could have both said it, I suppose. I love it so much. I love it so much. Yeah, it's a big deal. I like that. Because for me, the Sexplanations YouTube channel is about encouraging other people to stay curious, kind of inspiring this. I'm going to give you 75% of what I've learned on this, and then I'm just going to cut it at the end. (laughs) Be like, yeah, I could tell you more, but I'm not going Mm -hmm, to. mm -hmm. Stay hungry. And this... So manipulative. (laughs) This podcast is more about me being vulnerable with what I don't know. Mm. And and saying that one of the the best parts of getting to teach is the learning process mm. and how that is also not finite. So yeah, there's that. Cool. Yeah. So thanks for being a part of it. Yeah. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of it. Yeah. It, it was um, an honor to have you here and share the space. Thank you also to... Callie from Cinema Studios, Complexly for production, and Count Boogie for the jingle, jingle, and Cora and Paro. <laughs> I'm still learning. Mm-hmm.